Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. Hey, last weekend we began a new series called Origins, not State of Origin for all the rugby fans here. Who's, who, where's a Queenslander? Any Queenslanders here today? They're all in the first service. Oh, there's a couple, couple of quiet ones up there. Hey, not State of Origin, Origins. We're going back and looking at the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, that I think has some insights for us living today in the 21st century. Anyone watch the, the Bible on TV on Tuesday night? Did you get a chance to watch the Bible? Did you like it? Not bad, huh? I wasn't sure about the ninja angels. You know, I wasn't sure about the ninja angels. But, you know, 1.2 million Aussies were watching the Bible on Tuesday night. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. We, uh, we arranged that with Channel 9 to time with our Origin series. So it's, uh, it's fantastic that people are watching the Bible, talking about it, thinking about it. Well, today we're up to creation. Uh, what do you think about when you hear the word creation? Maybe you think of creation evolution or the Big Bang or what about dinosaurs? What, what about uh, faith and science? What about creation and evolution? You know, a, a study was done recently in America looking at some of the reasons why kids who grow up in church end up leaving church after high school and sometimes leaving the faith altogether. It was a major study called You Lost Me by the Barna Group. And uh, there's some very interesting insights that came out of this study. They discovered that for some young people, they grew up in churches where it wasn't okay to ask questions, where it wasn't uh, okay to have doubts. And uh, another thing that came out of the study was that some of the young people that left the church and left their faith felt that the church was anti-science anti-electional, anti-intellectual, not in touch with uh, the, the progress of science. In fact, here's a quote from a young man named Mike. We'll bring that up on the screen now. Uh, a young man named Mike was interviewed in this uh, study, and he says this, it was the 10th grade. I started learning about evolution. I felt like it was the first window into the real world. To be honest, I think that learning about science was the straw that broke the camel's back. I knew from church that I couldn't believe in both science and God, so that was it. I didn't believe in God anymore. What a a sad statement. Uh, Do do science and faith actually have to be at war with each other? Let's have a think about that. Uh, Today we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read the first creation account. And uh, it actually goes from Genesis 1 verse 1 right through to chapter 2 and verse 4. Some of you may not know, but the chapters and verses in your Bible weren't there in the original. Uh, They were put there by a very helpful Archbishop of Canterbury named Stephen Langton in the 13th century. I'm glad because it's a little easy to find things in your Bible with the chapters and verses. But uh, sometimes the chapters are helpful. Just occasionally they kind of uh, disrupt the flow of the story. And in this case, the first account of creation goes right through to chapter 2. 2 and verse 4. And so I'm going to take the time to read this creation story. Uh, Many of you will have heard it numbers of times. Maybe you're here today and you're hearing it for the first time. As I read it, listen to some of the words, some of the phrases, listen to some of the recurring uh, phrases throughout this creation story. Here we go, reading from the New Living Translation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. The evening passed and the morning came, marking the first day. 
Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. And God called the space sky. And the evening passed, and the morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so that dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The lad produced all vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit, and their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them mark off the seasons, days, and years, and let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life, and let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. And so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed. And morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals, and that's what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I've given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And this is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And the evening passed, and the morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth, and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God rested from his work of creation, and he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day. He declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Everyone said amen. amen. It's a very simple but majestic opening to the book of Genesis and to our entire Christian Bible. 
It's a little bit like a curtain raiser that grabs your attention as the author tells us how the world began. And he introduces two subjects, primarily God, the creator, and human beings. And he starts the story of their long relationship with each other. It's fairly brief, isn't it? I mean, it only took me three minutes or so to read the story. I'd like to know a lot more. In fact, as you look at the book of Genesis, uh, the author only takes 11 chapters to talk about the origins of the entire world. And from chapter 12 to 50, he spends all this time on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the the start of the nation of Israel. That tells us that his priority is telling us how Israel started, but he wants to know that the background is important because the God of Abraham isn't just a local tribalized deity, it's the God who created the whole world. But he's pretty brief in telling us how the world was created. You need to know that uh, around the time when this account was written, there were many other creation stories. We're going to put a picture of them up right now for you to have a look at. Uh, Archaeologists have discovered tablets, and we've become aware that there were other stories of creation from Babylon and from Egypt and other nations in ancient uh, Mesopotamia. Uh, There is what's called the Enuma Elish, which is a a large seven-tablet story of creation from around 1000 BC. There's another one from 1600 BC. There's the Gilgamesh Gilgamesh epic, 12 tablets that have an extensive story about the flood. So it's very possible that the author of the story we just read was aware that there were other worldviews. There were other accounts for how the world started. And so in many ways, one of the major goals of the author of Genesis is to present an alternative worldview to the many pagan views existing at that time. It's a very different story than all those other stories. It's different in its perspective about God. All of them present God or gods, but this story says there's only one God and he created everything. All the other stories involve conflict. There's uh, this God Marduk, he's the God of the sea and he's fighting against Tiamat and there's all this opposition and conflict. In this story, there's, there's no conflict, there's no struggle, there's no opposition. In all the other accounts uh, that you look up here, man is created as an afterthought to serve the gods, to bring food to the gods. In this creation story, guess what? Men and women are the climax of the, of, the, of the story. And not only are we created to serve God, but he, he, he serves us. He cares for us. He empowers us to be a part of ruling and reigning over the earth. And so in many ways, this is a, a, a worldview that's being presented to, a, to, to actually counter many of the worldviews of that time. As you have a look at the story, verse 1 is really a summary. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Seven words in Hebrew, ten in English, and sevens are right through this uh, account. And it's like a summary, and then verse 2 actually starts breaking it up in detail. Uh, It's uh, been illustrated by one commentator who uh, kind of humorously, but I think helpfully, talked about how someone may make a computer. Let's say Derek's making a computer. We might write it like this. In the beginning, Derek built himself a computer. Now, this computer was scattered pieces all over the workbench, still in boxes and manufacturer's wrappers. Darkness was over the face of the monitor. (laughs) Then Derek installed the motherboard. And Derek said, let this Intel chip make my computer run fast and efficiently. And Derek called the chip CPU. And Derek gave the CPU memory, and he separated the memory into static and dynamic. Stay with me. The static he called ROM, and the dynamic he called RAM. And Derek saw that the motherboard was good. (laughs) 
Then Derek said, let there be a hard drive to gather all the data together in one place. And so the story goes on and it finishes with, on the seventh day, Derek finished setting up his computer and he turned it on and it worked perfectly. Wouldn't that be great? Then Derek sat down and enjoyed his computer on the seventh day. And in many ways, that's what we have here in this first creation story. An overview, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then a bit of an outline of how God took time and space and matter and organized it. In many ways, there, there are patterns. If you look at the first three days, they're about creating an environment, forming this space, and then the next three days are about filling that environment. So on day one, light is created, On day four, lights are created to actually carry that light to the earth. On day two, we have the the separation between the the sky and the waters. And then on day five, the sky is filled with all these flying creatures and the sea is filled with creatures that swim in the water. On day three, we have the land created and vegetation. Then on day six, the land is filled with animals and human beings. And so there's this pattern of forming and filling and from the chaos and the kind of disarrangement of the beginning at the end is this beautiful order and rest and creation is finished. Uh, There are actually two creation accounts because if you keep reading in chapter 2 we have a a second story and it's a very different story. It kind of starts from earth and from man's perspective and moves in the other direction in contrast to the first story. But there are really two different versions of the same creation story written from different perspectives. Now, If you're like me, there's a lot of questions you still have. See, the Genesis author tells us who created the world, God. He tells us why he created the world, and we'll talk about the purpose for which he created the world. But he doesn't tell us when God created the world. There's no date in there. And he doesn't tell us how God created the world in a sense of detail. There's nothing about timing or method. And so just for interest today, in the Christian world, there's a variety of views when it comes to asking, answering the question, how old is the earth and how did God create it specifically? Uh, coming up on the screen now, first of all, there's a group called Young Earth Creationists. Young Earth Creationists. They believe that the earth is young, hence the name Young Earth Creationists. Uh, they believe that God created the world in literal 24-hour days, and so the earth Earth is only about six to ten thousand years old, and uh, they would answer the question, "Well, wh- why do th- some parts of the universe seem old?" They would say, "Well, when you when you make a painting, you can paint an old person and a young pe- person. You can make things look old, and so some parts of the universe do look old, but actually, the Earth is very, very young." Uh, Ken Ham is the leading voice within this group, and there's uh, some websites there, AnswersInGenesis.org, and also Creation.com have a wealth of information about this young earth creationist view. Uh, The second view amongst uh, Christians today is called old earth creationism, and they believe the earth is... You're a sharp group this morning. (laughs) Old earth creationists. Now, this group would say, hey, hey, those days in creation, they weren't literal. They They were periods of time. So, you know, Peter says a day to the Lord is like a thousand years. And so this view would say, no, they weren't literal 24 hour days. They were long seasons. In fact, maybe there was a gap between verse one and two. And so this group would say the the earth is old, maybe hundreds of millions of years old. And so they're called old earth creationists. Hugh Ross is a major thinker and 
communicator on this view, and an excellent website, reasons.org, talks about that. Then there's a third view, becoming more popular in our time, called theistic evolution. Theistic evolution. What, what is this view? Well, this group of people believe that the, old, the earth is old, but that God initiated the Big Bang, and he created the world through the process of evolution. And they would read Genesis 1 and 2 as inspired scripture, but they'd say this is more of a poetic story rather than a literal description of what took place scientifically. Uh, there's lots of people uh, taking this view today. Francis Collins is a, is a leading voice, an, a, an amazing book called The Language of God. He's a leading scientist. He was involved in mapping the human DNA. Great thinker, a great faith in Christ. And uh, his website is biologos.org. And so three very different views as to how God created the world. What's the right view? Creation, that's right. Creation is the right view. Well, here at City Life, we encourage people to think for themselves and to, to do the re- research, do, do the work, but, but, but don't be dogmatic. You know, all three of those views have strengths and weaknesses. And the danger always is when we take a secondary issue and we become dogmatic in it. You know, there's some young earth creationists that would look at theistic evolutionists and say they are compromisers, they are bought into the lie of Satan, they are elevating science above the inspired word of God. And then you'll talk to some theistic evolutionists who will criticize young earth creationists, say they're trying to superimpose some scientific interpretation on the scripture. They're twisting the scriptures. They're denying the plain facts of science. And they're hindering people like scientists from coming to faith. And so there's debates back and forth. In fact, on my, on my blog, there's a whole bunch of resources. There's a really good book called Three Views on Creation with an editor and three different authors all presenting one of these three views. And then they all interact with each other. It's a really good thing to read. And so I believe that uh, these are important questions, but the author of Genesis wasn't answering all the questions that we have in our mind today. He hadn't heard of Charles Darwin. And so as we read the story, the author is more interested in who created the world and why than telling us when or how that took place. This is a theological affirmation. It's a statement of faith. It's not a scientific handbook, as we mentioned last week. Now, science is important. Did you know that over 50% of young people at university today are doing a science-related degree? And so science is important. And I don't think science and faith have to be at war with each other. Science and faith can be related. They deal with different areas. Science looks at how things work. Faith gives us reasons to believe and also adds meaning to our life. Science has its limits. Even Richard Dawkins, a leading atheist, he has admitted science cannot tell us how life began amazing statement. Because if you go right back to the beginning, either everything came out of nothing, which is a naturalistic cause, or there was a God there who created everything, which is a supernatural cause. Both of those beliefs require faith because we weren't there and we can't reproduce it through a scientific method. So at the beginning, you have to have faith either in something natural or something supernatural. So science has its place, but it also has its limits. Uh, It's amazing if you want to study the scientific revolution. Uh, Anyone remember Isaac Newton? Ever heard of Isaac Newton? One of the major scientific thinkers. You know, he was a person of great faith. In fact, I read a quote from Isaac Newton this week. He said this, I have a fundamental belief in the Bible as the word of God written by those who are inspired. I study the Bible daily. 
what a great statement from a scientist. Here's someone who's curious about the world, but has a reverence for the creator. Someone who's into science, but has a faith in God who created this world. And so uh, we want an environment where faith and science can complement each other. They don't have to be at war. Now, a big question everyone has this morning, and just hold the picture for a moment, team, is what about the dinosaurs? Now, young earth creationists would tell us that the dinosaurs faded out after a global flood because the climate began to change. Old earth creationists would tell us, no, 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 the dinosaurs existed hundreds of millions of years ago and probably were wiped out by an asteroid that hit the earth. Evolutionists would say, well, they kind of got wiped out somewhere in the evolutionary process. So there's a lot of opinions. No one really knows. We know there were dinosaurs. We're not sure how they disappeared. A friend sent me a picture in this week, and I think this might be the answer. It's coming up right now. This is one opinion as to what happened to the dinosaurs. Maybe they missed the boat. We doing okay this morning? Maybe they missed the boat. Maybe they didn't get on the ark. I had another friend give me another picture. I I couldn't get it up today. And it just has a little caption, what really happened to the dinosaurs? And there's a picture of three dinosaurs smoking. (laughs) Maybe that's what happened. Hey, we really don't know, but all those websites I put up there, they're on my blog, have, have a whole bunch of opinions on what happened to the dinosaurs. Well, just in our final few moments, let's make a few reflections from this creation story about God and about ourselves. Uh, what, what is the author wanting us to know about God? I think firstly, he's wanting us to know that God is sovereign over everything. See, in ancient Near East, there wasn't a debate about whether God exists. Notice it just says, in the beginning, God created. It doesn't try to prove God. They weren't debating about, is there a God? They were debating about who's the God over everything and how many gods are there? This author just says there's one God, he has no equal, and even the created order, sun, moon, and stars, they're not gods, they're just part of nature. The author, if you look, doesn't use the word sun or moon in the story. He says the larger light and the lesser light, because the Hebrew word for sun and moon were pagan deities. He intentionally doesn't use them, showing that there are actually no other gods. There's one God who created everything, and he's over all. There's no struggle. We can also learn from this story that not only is God sovereign, but all of creation is dependent upon God. God created everything. He's still active in history and nature. He's the one holding everything together. Of course, for us today, we kind of look at the world and say, well, wow, Uh, the world doesn't look like God's really in control. You know, God created everything very good. He created it as a paradise. As we're going to follow the story, sin dramatically damaged God's world affected individuals and families and societies and nations and even all of creation. And so we're in paradise lost now where things are broken and there's evil in the world and there's suffering in the world. And we look back at this story and if anything, it should give us hope that the God who created the world good is now busy working to restore it to what it once was. And so there's different views of how the world works today. Uh, some people, I love musical examples, and I might have shared this before, but some people see the world a bit like a classical orchestra. Anyone here like classical music? Four people? A lot, lot, lot more, actually. Uh, in classical music, uh, as you put the music in front of you, the composer has already written the entire score. Uh, the composer tells you what notes to play, how loud, how soft to play them, the phrasing. It's all pre-programmed, and your job is simply to play a preordained piece 
in the composition. Some people believe the world's like a classical orchestra. God's wound it all up. It's all programmed. You have no choice. You're just playing out a role that was already predetermined for you. One worldview. Other people come way over here and they see uh, life and the world a bit like a jam session. Anyone know what a jam session is? Jam session is where you get a bunch of musos together and they just go for it. Guitars playing, drums are playing, crumpets playing. You know, everyone's just doing their own thing. There's no script, there's no key, there's no order. It's just make a joyful noise. And some people think the world's a bit like a jam session. There's no plan, there's no order. It's just do your own thing, make your own meaning. There's a third option. Anyone like jazz here today? jazz. Now, now, now in jazz, you actually have a combination of the two. Uh, In jazz, there is improvisation. Someone will play something, and then you'll hear it, and you'll respond to it, and you'll make a choice, and someone else. And so there's free will. There's improvisation. It's not all predetermined. But underneath the choices, there's a rhythm. There's a chord structure that holds everything together, and the music's actually going somewhere. But I suggest to you that the world is a lot more like a jazz band. We have free will. We make, Adam and Eve are going to make a choice that's going to have consequences. And we make choices and other people make choices. But underneath all of our choices, God, through his providence, is taking the story somewhere. Example, Joseph, a little later in Genesis. Joseph had a dream. It's great. And then he's betrayed by his brothers. He's put into prison for 13 long years. And he goes through so much pain and suffering. And one day he sees his brothers. And and it's an emotional moment. And he says this amazing statement. He says, you meant it for evil. It was wrong. It hurt. You meant it for evil. But God used it for good. What an unbelievable statement. And we live in a world where there is evil and there is suffering and people make decisions that have consequences. But we've got to believe that the God who's sovereign, who's holding all creation together, even uses our mistakes, even uses our pain. Providence is taking the story somewhere. Everyone said amen. 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 God's busy restoring the world that he created to be good. And so a few reflections about God. Well, what what about ourselves? You know, this creation account tells us that we're not here by accident. You know, atheism today gives you really no reason to live. There's no future. When you die, it's over. There's no eternity. And while you're here, just make your own meaning. Well, this story would tell us not only what God's like, but tell us why we are here. Look at verse 26 to 28 again of chapter 1. Let us make human beings in our image. This is the only day where God actually takes some time to think about what he's doing. Everything else he just does as he's thinking. This one, God's taking counsel. Let us, let's do this. Let's make man, let's make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female created them, and he blessed them. Listen to the heart of God. Unlike all those pagan stories that uh, saw people as a nuisance, uh, self-promoting, he's a God that has a heart for his creation. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it. Reign over my creation. And so let's let's bring a few thoughts out of this. Uh, First of all, we were created for relationship. You'll notice right away, God's creating us in his image. He's a relational God. And as you get to the second story, we see God walking through the garden, talking with Adam and Eve. And so God wants you and I to know him 
And he's wanting to know us. He's wanting a relationship with us, which is a a call for us to pray and talk to God and listen to his voice. He's a God that wants to be known. And this relationship is not just with him. It's also with people. We see that Adam was alone first in the second story. And he created Eve as a partner, as as a helper. And it's not just about marriage, but about the fact that we need to do life in community. Uh, of course, you know, loving God, loving people, that's why we're here. Uh, loving God's somewhat easy. How many are loving people is a little harder? Uh, especially since sin has entered the world. In fact, uh, you know, I, I read a, few, a book a few years ago by John Ortberg called Everyone's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. <laughs> and isn't that true? You ever been to a shop and there's, there's a kind of a section of goods for sale and it just says, as is? How many know if you buy something from there, it's at your own risk? There may be no instruction manual. Something may be a little broken. Something could be missing. You know, as you relate to people, you need to realize they have an as-is sign on them. But guess what? So do you. We all kind of come as-is. We're all a little bit dysfunctional. And if you don't believe that, just keep reading the Genesis story. Because Cain and Abel, he get, Cain gets so mad, he kills his brother. First family on earth. Uh, Noah, later on, he's the most righteous person on earth. He gets drunk. Lot, uh, he offers his virgin daughters to some men attacking the house. Later on, uh, his virgin daughters get impregnant and have children from their father. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob play favoritism with their kids. Uh, Reuben ends up sleeping with his father's concubine. Judah sleeps with his daughter-in-law unbeknowingly, thinking she's a prostitute. And this is the godly line. Uh, Genesis reads like a script from days uh, days of our lives. I mean, these people need a therapist. Seriously. Some of you are feeling better about your family. I can just see it right now. Yeah, we're, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. Just, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're all right. This is the Genesis story. Because once sin comes into the world, wow, loving God's one thing, loving people, wow, that's another challenge. And yet it's part of our purpose to love God and to love people. Uh, Secondly, is to reflect God. This is amazing. We'll take a whole message next weekend on image. What does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? To reflect God and to treat people with the respect and dignity that comes from them being in God's likeness. We're made to reflect God. Uh, Thirdly, we're here to be fruitful. God says, fill the earth, fill the earth. He wants a big family. In fact, at Babel, one of the reasons God judged the Tower of Babel is because they're all centralizing again. He says, no, no, I want you spreading out, filling the earth. For us today as followers of Christ, it's not just a, a natural promise, but how many know God wants a big spiritual family? family. Uh, God wants a big spiritual family, and you and I need to be reaching out to people that don't yet know Christ. Luke 15 was our reading yesterday. I love the little phrase there when the, when the woman finds the coin and the shepherd finds the sheep, and Jesus interprets the parable. He says, there'll be more joy. Everyone say more joy. More joy in heaven when one lost person is found. How many know heaven's probably joyful most of the time? Yeah, yeah. When we're worshiping today, I reckon heaven's pretty joyful. Clap your hands. Heaven's joyful when you're fellowshipping today. Heaven's joyful when you go to lunch today. Heaven's joyful when we're preaching. Hopefully heaven's joyful also today. The, the joy level's pretty, pretty steady in heaven. But you know, there's one thing that causes the joy level to go up. There's more joy when one person who's outside, who's far from God, comes home. 
It tells me heaven's priority is actually seeing the family of God grow, that God's house may be full. So God wants us to be fruitful, which is about sharing, sharing our faith. And then God wants us to steward his earth. Amazing thing that we are put here to take dominion. And dominion kind of sounds like pillage and plunder. No, no, no it's, it's actually like living in someone else's house. Ever stayed in someone else's house for a while? You kind of look after it. We are stewards of the planet. We are here, which I think includes creation care, but it also includes using our gifts to serve and bring God's kingdom into our earth. And so we are here for a purpose, to use our gifts in the church, at home, in your vocation, to fight poverty, to fight injustice, to see the world become what God intended for it at the beginning. One final reflection from this story is about the Sabbath. Sabbath is sacred time. It's interesting that the whole work of creation ends with God taking some time to rest and enjoy his creation. And I think that's really relevant for us today. We're in a culture that almost idolizes productivity and pleasure, and we rarely pause. We rarely pause just to, to worship God. You know, Chesterton said, the world doesn't lack wonders what is missing is wonder. You know, sometimes in our urban jungle, we, we barely stop and look at a sunset and just really take it in and go, what an amazing creator we have. What does Sabbath look like in your life on a daily basis, on a weekly basis to worship, to reflect, to meditate, to contemplate, to recreate, just to cease from our busyness and our busy doings. Sabbath also. It's a great reflection from this story. And so this creation story, all the author wants us to know is that there's a God who created the world and he created you for a purpose. He wants us to know that purpose and live it out. We see this fully realized in Christ. Let me uh, bring our message to a close by reading John chapter 1. And listen to the echoes of Genesis. Here's John, the closest disciple to Jesus. He says, in the beginning, oh, that sounds familiar. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Wow, it sounds like a new Genesis, a new beginning through Christ. And He goes on and says, Jesus came into the world, he created but the world didn't recognize him he came to his own people but they rejected him but look at verse 12 but to all who believed in him in jesus and accepted him he began he gave the right to become the children of god and they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from a human passional plan but a birth that comes from god the amazing thing as we look at the full biblical story is the god who's our creator actually wants to be our father creator and father and jesus came yes to reveal the creator god but to reveal god as a father and you and i as his children who he loves and who he wants to participate in his purpose here on planet earth let me pray for you Uh, father today we are amazed at this ancient book of Genesis, a sacred text inspired by your spirit. We've got a lot of questions about science and faith, and it's good to have some discussions about those, and we we pray that that happens. But more than anything, Genesis wants us to know who created the world and why. And God, we thank you that you created this world. What an amazing world it is. Help us to pause more. 
Help us to be filled with wonder more frequently rather than scanting, scurrying around in our busyness. And Lord God, I pray that we would not only worship you as our creator, but we would know you as our father today. Those of us who are already your children, may we just sense your love in a fresh way today and the privilege of being empowered to partner with you as we, as we pray more, as we, as we serve with our gifts, Lord, to bring your kingdom, as we share our faith. That's all part of our purpose for being on the planet. I pray maybe for some today that uh, feel distant from Father God. I think of that prodigal who went off by himself and lived for a purpose beyond what he'd been created for. And he hit that wall and then he said, I, I, I want to come back home. And well, maybe there's some people here today that just need to come home, that just need to embrace you as Father today. I, I pray for them today. Just as their eyes are closed, you know, if I'm talking to you right there, maybe you're visiting today, maybe you've been a few times, and you don't really know God as a father. That's the message of Christ, creator, father. And I'd love to pray with you today. Or maybe you're a bit like that prodigal. Maybe you've known a closeness with God, but for some reason you've drifted. Hey, maybe stuff happened. People let you down. You got hurt. You got disappointed. I can tell you, like that father in the story, God's here with his arms open wide. Like this amazing painting by Michelangelo, the creation of Adam, God's hand is reaching out to you. All you need to do is respond and say, yes, God, I'm, I'm turning to you today. And so in just a moment, we're all going to pray a prayer. But just while our eyes are closed, well, what about you today? today? Do you know God? Are you walking with a sense of being a child of God, having a purpose? If you're not, I'd love to pray with you. And so if you'd like to become a Christian or you're away from God or you're just not sure, or maybe you feel a need for forgiveness today, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand so I can see it. And then we're going to pray just before we finish. Say, would you do that right now? Just, just lift your hand up. Say, that's me. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you very much. Over to my right. Thank you. Another one. Over to my right. Thank you. Up in the balcony. Yeah, God bless you, sir. Awesome. Yeah, right in the middle there. Right in the middle. I see you. Another person up in the balcony. Fantastic. Underneath the balcony over there. God bless you. If you're a Christian, come on, just pray for a few minutes. Lots of people responding today. Anyone else? I I just need to come close to God today. I I need his love. I need to turn from the direction I'm heading. Uh, I'm messing with my life. I, I need to get back on God's plan for my life. If that's you today, would you mind raising your hand also? We're going to pray together in just a moment. God bless you. That's so exciting. (laughs) More joy. I'll tell you what, heaven's getting ready to break out in a party today. Uh, Those who lifted their hands, we're going to say a simple prayer. In fact, church, could we all pray this together? Dear God, thank you for creating me. Thank you that you're my father and I'm your child. I turn to you today. I run to you today. Please forgive me for the mistakes I've made. Give me a fresh start. Help me to live with you and for you. A sense of purpose in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Father, I'm so excited. Those words spoken from hearts today. Maybe some people who didn't lift their hands up but said those words today. Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, that even as heaven's rejoicing now, Lord, that for these people today would be a new genesis, a new beginning. They'd look back to this day and say, yeah, I, I was born physically uh, X amount of years ago, but, but this day today, uh, I was born into the family of God. And Father, today would be a fresh start. And Lord, for all of us today, Lord, fill us with fresh wonder for you as our creator and fresh wonder for you as our father. What an awesome privilege to be children of God. May we live with wonder and worship every day and be active in seeing this world restored to what you had in mind at the beginning in Jesus' wonderful name. Come on, give Jesus a really big clap this morning. Let's praise him. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.